Good morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. Our sermon text is going to be taken from Luke chapter 2. If you would turn there now, Luke chapter 2, and we're going to be examining verses 22 through verses 38. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 22. Let's hear God's word together. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. The word of the Lord. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the section of Luke that leads up to to chapter 2 has quite a lot of activity going on. Uh, There's been uh, much promises given by the Lord, and already at this point, much fulfillment. Uh, the birth of John the Baptist has been foretold, or rather promised, to the aging Zechariah and Elizabeth, who's been barren. Um, and then she, she conceives, and, and, and then they, they have interaction with, with Mary. And then a similar promise is given, although this time the birth is not a natural conception, uh, but it is in fact miraculous. Uh, the Holy Spirit, in fact, is, is what causes Mary to conceive and, and, and become pregnant with this child. And so leading up to our section, we have it centered on the promise and its coming fulfillment. fulfillment. Uh, the fulfillment of the Lord's Christ, the Messiah that Israel had long been waiting for, is now or on the scene. And, and although uh, this, this account and the entirety of Luke's gospel centers on uh, the delivery of the promise, the covenant faithfulness of the Lord to deliver this promise, the content, in large part, revolves around the response of, of God's people to this promise, in particular, Simeon's words regarding this child. And so those will be of instruction to us. Really, two parts I'd like to talk about uh, today, the, the humility and the humanity of Christ that we see revealed in these verses, and, and then also the mission and power of Christ. Uh, what, is this, what is this Jesus come to do? What is his mission going to be about? And so we pick up in verses 23 through 24, and when the time came 
for the purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Two Old Testament texts are actually uh, in view with what's happening here. The laws of purification taken from Leviticus 12, uh, that is, it essentially gave the protocol for a woman who would give birth to a male or a female. In this case, the child is a male, so she's ritually unclean for seven days. That doesn't mean she's physically or spiritually dirty. It was merely a ritual uh, state uh, that God had given to the people of Israel. After those seven days of, of, of being in the state of uncleanliness have passed, the child is circumcised on the eighth day. And then for 33 days, it's, it's as though... Uh, the mother and maybe the child, both Anne, are in an interim state leading up to these rites of purification that they're coming to the temple to have performed. So it's, it's standard. It's what would be, would be done for any child, male or female. Uh, what's unique, though, that happens here is there's also the consecration of the firstborn that is happening. And that's taken from Exodus 13, immediately following the Lord's deliverance of his people from Israel, and the celebration of the Passover. Uh, This consecration of the firstborn is really directly in line uh, with what happened in the final plague that the Lord brought against the people of Egypt. That is, as the final plague, the tenth one that the Lord brought is your firstborn from all, all your homes will be taken. And the Lord says, but you, to be shown mercy, you should celebrate the Passover. What was that? Well, you would in haste, Take a lamb, slaughter it, and spread the blood over your doorpost. And as the angel came, instead of taking your firstborn, it would literally pass over your home and go to the next. So that's the ceremony in view. Directly after that, in Exodus 13, is when the Lord says, And all who first open the, the womb of man and of beast will be mine. So this is Joseph and Mary in faithfulness to the Lord coming and bringing their firstborn male. Although... Uh, what happens in the words of, of Simeon that follow are, are by no means the standard that he likely spoke as a priest uh, to to any old family bringing in uh, bringing in their child. And in fact, we can imagine as a priest he's performed this ceremony many times uh, for both male and female in the rites of purification. They would bring a lamb and a turtle dove if they were too poor, as we see in the instance uh, Jesus's family was. They would bring two two birds in place of a lamb, two turtle doves or two pigeons. <clears throat> And the part that should really strike us here is this child is coming from the ordinary custom of the Jewish people, but by no means has his origin been ordinary. His birth is miraculous. We understand he's the son of God. He's not simply going to be an exceptional prophet of the people of God, a wise man, a rabbi, a teacher, but he he is Emmanuel. This is God with you. The angels have have proclaimed it and confirmed it to Joseph. They've confirmed it to shepherds. They've come and paid him worship and paid him homage. And here he is, going about the normal custom and order of the day for a Jewish family. Why? Isn't something special in order for this child, this child so unique, alone among the people of God, the coming Messiah, And he comes for the standard rites of purification and consecration of the firstborn. We see in this the Lord Jesus' utter humility, don't we? There is not an area of life where he does not condescend to us or an area of our humanity where he he leaves untouched. He he touches it all. He condescends to us to, to take the place of man 
because with the Passover likely in view, he is coming to take the place of man. He is coming to die across death to atone for their sins and to rise from the dead that their faith would not be in vain. Why does the Lord Jesus do this? Because he is fully taking on our humanity. He is not giving himself pride of place. He is not, as we might imagine, the pomp and circumstance to to illustrate this for us that, that would come if a former or current setting president were to visit your neck of the woods, right? There would be a security detail here to, to clear the way days or at least hours in advance, right? There would be a to-do. There would be an itinerary. There would be pomp and circumstance. The, the most celebrated, the highest-ranking officials in the area would come and gather and would glad hand, and there would be speeches, but not here. Not here. <clears throat> Let's continue on in our text. Now there was a man, this is verse 25 picking up, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. We see that with those words... Simeon, by the inspiration of the Spirit, is, is giving us a window into what's actually happening, right? Circumstantially, we would see the matter as Joseph and Mary bringing their child and presenting him to the Lord. But in, in God's grand scheme of redemption, what is actually happening? The Lord is, in fact, presenting his Son to the world. God the Father, through the incarnation, in, is giving God the Son two people for their salvation and God the Holy Spirit is is putting these words in the mouth of Simeon to declare uh, as we would see from from the uh, heights of a mountaintop what the ministry of the Lord Jesus will be like it will be a revelation to the Gentiles those who do not know God will come to know God and glory for his people Israel well, what what does that mean well the whole mission of Israel was to be a nation of priests to the surrounding nations. And their glory is found that this Messiah will come uh, to do what they're called to do, that is, draw in the nations, draw in the people. We see that Simeon was waiting for this consolation, and the Lord gave him the added benefit and comfort of saying, you're not going to see death until you see my Christ that is coming. Now, what exactly does it mean that Simeon was, was waiting well, we can just illustrate it by glancing at the history of Israel, can't we? Uh, ever since Second Samuel 7, when the Lord promised to David in the midst of David saying to the Lord, I'm going to build a house for you, the Lord comes back and says, no, 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 David, uh, you're not, but I'm going to make of you a house. That is, in the Hebrew, a dynasty. That was the promise, right? And what, what is this king that is going to rule over your people forever going to do? He's going to rule with justice and equity. He's going to be the kind of ruler that we read from Isaiah 11, right, in the lesson leading up 
uh, to, to our scripture passage now. He's going to be able to pierce through and without eyes, without ears, see the thoughts and intents of the hearts of his people and not to, to lay judgment or scorn, but to offer a way back, to offer mercy, to offer repentance. And if they reject him, then the, this is the Lord of, of judgment as well. That's, that's the king that is coming in the history of Israel you have good kings rise, you have bad kings rise, and their lives and their deaths give a unified testimony. I am not the Christ. You're still waiting. With David, I'm not the Christ. You're still waiting. With Solomon, I'm not the Christ. You're still waiting. Even with the great king Hezekiah, who tore down the high places and reinstituted the law and its keeping, I am not the Christ. You're still waiting. And 400 years after the exile, the people of God continue to wait. What? For their comforter to come. This, this is the child that is before Simeon now. And this is the same Jesus in his ministry that is before us. And so Simeon gives this grand mountaintop view of what will be the ministry of Christ in verses 29 through 32 with a personal thanksgiving to the Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace. My eyes have seen your salvation that you prepared in the presence of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him, right? That's not what they were expecting. Uh, that's, that's, not, that's not what they were expecting. They've likely spent uh, 40 plus days with this child by just the time frame they would have waited for the rites of purification it looked like a normal baby, it slept like a normal baby, it ate like a normal baby, it cried like a normal baby, and yet the reality here is revealed in Simeon's words. There is nothing normal about this child. He is the Messiah that is to come. And so what do they do? The response is appropriate. They marvel. They were not expecting this. Sure, the angels have appeared. Sure, this is the Lord's Christ. But really? A light of revelation, glory for your people Israel? And then Simeon adds even a little more. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And then almost as a pastoral aside, he says to her, And a sword will pierce through your own soul. And then he jumps back in to his original thoughts, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And you might even see those words, maybe personally directed to Mary, bracketed off. Well, what is he doing here? Well, if he gives the mountaintop view of the ministry of Christ in verses 29 through 32, here we enter uh, the valley of what the ministry of Christ will look like. Uh, and it's not as straightforward as we might like it to be. This will be a ministry that is opposed to many. It will not just be for the rising of some in Israel, but it will be for the falling of some in Israel. And the hearts of many will be revealed and just if we were to continue to, to take this time and just read on in the gospel, we would see that those, those words of Simeon to Mary really do encapsulate the ministry of Christ. He will cause some to fall. Those who take pride of, of place either as religious leaders or in their communities will be brought low by the words of Jesus. And if they're not, they won't follow him. They'll... They'll walk away, right? This continues to be the ministry of Christ to us as people as well. We don't get to glance or dance around this. We, we like our Jesus to give us nice warm fuzzies and to be the one who only 
causes us to rise. That is, that is not the case. This Jesus discerns the thoughts and intents of our hearts, and he can cause to fall, in mercy to fall. What's your first thought when you see someone who doesn't belong? Waste of space. They don't deserve to breathe my air. What are they doing here? Christ might cause you to fall in that belief. Or maybe when you look around and see other people, you think to yourself, I'm full of shame, contempt. I don't belong here. Who would have me? Who would even acknowledge that I'm made in the image of this God, same as they are? What does this Jesus say to you? He says, I will raise you up. He says, with me there is mercy and compassion. With me there is a level of dignity and forgiveness that you hadn't envisioned, uh, even, if the Lord, even if the world around you would show uh, contempt and opposition to you. And then almost as a pastoral aside, we see in verse 33, and we can push the pause button here because that seems what Simeon is doing. Maybe he he sees an expression on, on Mary's face when she hears a light of revelation to the Gentiles, glory to your people Israel, and then the reality is this Jesus will be a sign opposed. What is that? The world in large does not want this Jesus. And maybe an expression or response, you know, we don't, we don't know, we're speculating here. He, he says to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul. And a sword will pierce through your own soul. Why, why say that to a mother? Isn't that, isn't that harsh? It's un, unnecessary? Well, no. No, no it actually isn't. And, and we could maybe illustrate this in a way trite and, and much smaller than what Mary and the, the level of pain that she's going to experience at loving this child Jesus and of her son Jesus loving her but doing this public ministry that is going to cause such pain and opposition. The Lord's honesty is a kindness to us. If he weren't to tell us about the level and depth of our sin, it would not be loving. If he were not to explain to us the level of of redemption that we need this Jesus to bring to us, it it would not be a kindness that would lead us to repentance. And and to illustrate it in a a trite, much smaller way, and this is one of my seminary professors who gave this simple illustration, he takes his child into the doctors to get vaccinated one day. And uh, they're sitting in the waiting room there, and beforehand they've already had the conversation, uh, is it going to hurt? Is it going to hurt? And the answer from them have been the same every time. Yeah, it's, it's going to hurt, but it's for your good. And within the waiting room, uh, there was another young family with their child there, and the child was, was asking the same question incessantly. Is it going to hurt? Is it going to hurt? And he overheard uh, the mother and the father reassure him, it's not, it's not going to hurt. It's not going to hurt, and then you'll get a lollipop, and we'll, we'll go home and we'll be fine. Well, they were there before the couple, or they were there after the couple, so that the other couple goes in first. And what happened? The child came out worse than he went in. Why? Because he was lied to. Because the reality of the pain he was getting ready to experience wasn't laid out there for him. It's actually a kindness of Simeon to take this pastoral aside to Mary and to say, pain, pain is awaiting you. And the Lord is honest about this reality in many other ways and in our own lives, in the Christian life, right? 
You're promised suffering. You're promised hardship. You're promised even an amplification of the opposition and resistance that you might receive in your life for following this Jesus. The Lord doesn't sugarcoat that. For you, what does James say? Count these trials, this opposition, as a joy, brothers and sisters, right? Suffering will be part of the Christian life. You will experience pain, and maybe even more so, if you follow this this Jesus. And then we see, so that the hearts from many will be revealed. <clears throat> we might not always know what's going on in, in our own hearts, desires, our temptations, why we're resistant to certain things until the Lord actually reveals them to us, don't we? Well, that's what Jesus does throughout his ministry, just to maybe highlight a, a few of the more well-known examples from the Gospels, right? The woman at the well in John 4 who, who comes to him. Uh, she's, she's asking questions about, about worship, about, prophes- about prophecy. Clearly she knows that Christ is coming, and what does Jesus do? Uh, without eyes observing any outward thing or ears to hear, he discerns her heart. Now you've had many husbands. The man you're with now is not your husband. What does she do? She leaves with joy. She's met this Christ. She's found the one that was coming, and he, 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 he cleared out all the clutter and went right to the heart of the issue. And he did the same thing with Nicodemus. The woman at the well was an outcast brought in. Nicodemus was religious elite, uh, an insider who did not know the Lord. And what did, what did Jesus say to him? You're a teacher of Israel, yet you do not know these things? Of course you have to be born again by water and spirit. You can't enter the kingdom of God unless you are. And then we think of the rich young ruler who comes along, right? Well, I've kept all the commandments. I've, I've done that. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Well, he cuts right through, doesn't he? Your money is your life. Get rid of it and follow follow me. What does he do? He walks away sorrowful because he had much possession. That's the ministry of the Lord Jesus that we see littered throughout the gospel. And that's his ministry to you and to I as well, or to you and to me as well. He cuts through the clutter in our lives and gets to the heart of the matter so that we'd be sanctified more and more in his image. That's the grace of the Lord to us. So where where is this this Jesus, this child that is coming into the world, a light of revelation to the Gentiles of joy? And glory for the people of Israel who will cause to rise up, will cause to fall, who will reveal the hearts of many who will be a sign opposed. Where is that challenging you? Uh, the sign opposed for the church today would be anybody within the church, whether it's from the pulpit or in a classroom or in their lives, uh, making anything other than the life and death, the work of Jesus, central to the mission and life of the church. Jesus, Jesus will oppose such mission. Why? Because it's not, it's not his. Where does that challenge you? Is it, is it first about our Reformed tradition and then, then about Jesus? As we often might joke, you know, have you accepted Calvin into your heart yet? And then, oh, are, you, are you a believer? That's a secondary question. Jesus, Jesus opposes that, doesn't he? And he should. Or maybe... It's a political stance you're more interested in than somebody's heart in relation to, to Jesus. Jesus opposes that. He'll cause that to fall. 
and, and rightly, rightly he should. Where is Jesus pushing on there? And then where is he offering you encouragement and comfort? Maybe life is exceptionally hard right now. Maybe you're experiencing rejection from family, from friends. Maybe you feel an inner shame and contempt that you just can't seem to shake with, with food, with distraction, with hobbies, with whatever it might be. Turn to the Lord Jesus. He will raise you up. Turn to the Lord Jesus. He's, he's tender. Look at his interest into the world. Such humility. No pomp, no circumstances. Taking on our humanity and becoming lowly for our sake. This is the Lord Jesus for you and I. This is the Lord Jesus that has entered the world as a child, coming to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles of glory and joy for his people Israel, who is a sign opposed, but who also causes to rise up, causes to fall, who reveals the hearts of, of many. This, is, this continues to be the ministry of the Lord Jesus as he sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us as he sends his Holy Spirit to guide and direct us. Brothers and sisters, be challenged by that where you need to be and be comforted by that uh, where you should be. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we give you, we give you thanks uh, for your word and for the way in which uh, you show us uh, the great work of the Lord Jesus, that even before he could, he could walk or talk, it was being declared by Simeon to, to his parents just exactly what his life would look like and be about as he came to live a righteous life on our behalf and to die across death and to raise uh, again from the dead that our hope might not be in vain. Lord, we give you great thanks that you have fulfilled your promise uh, that Jesus and his ministry is alive and active in the world and that you love and care for us enough to, uh, to challenge and oppose us and reveal the intents of our heart and also to, to raise us up and to comfort and assure and give your comfort and peace by your spirit to your people. We pray uh, that by your grace you would you would minister uh, to your people today by your word, and that those areas where we need to hear your your rebuke and your challenge, we would and we would readily accept and and repent, and where we need to hear and respond to your comfort and encouragement um, that that you have for us, that we we would respond and we would not shrug that off and and continue to to live in the darkness. Father, we, we give you praise and thanks uh, for this Lord's Day and for the refreshment and the way in which you restore and guide your people. We pray by your grace, by the work of the Holy Spirit, you continue to do that. Amen.